Donald Trump becomes the first president in US history to be impeached twice. Whether to convict him now falls to the Senate. Governments around the world are assessing the risks of a new variant of the coronavirus, which appears to have originated in Brazil, and Italy's largest mafia trial in several decades amid a vast security operation begins in the Calabrian city of La Mezzia Terme. Monocle's correspondents are here to discuss those stories here on the late edition on Monocle 24. Hello there and a very warm welcome to you to the late edition here on Monocle 24. I'm Thomas Lewis and joining us today from London and from Sao Paulo are Monocle 24's Augustin Machilari and Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Augustin, Fernando, a very happy new year to you. Brilliant to have you both on the programme today. Uh, How are you both doing? Fernando, I believe you've had some unexpected changes to your travel plans. Quite a lot of changes, I have to say, Thomas. Uh, first of all, I was supposed to be in London uh, from Sunday, but then my flight was cancelled uh, two days later, and then I had like three further cancellations. And, you know, for now, I'm supposed to be back next week, but there's been a lot of changes, and I think we're going to discuss this a little bit later in the show. Uh, it's interesting because first Brazil banned the flights from the UK because of the this UK variant and now the opposite might happen so it's a mixture of bad luck but at the same time I'm here safe with my family and, and able to talk into you guys which is a treat for all of us Fernando and Augustine how about you how are you faring in London pretty well thanks Thomas we're a couple of weeks into well this phase of lockdown uh, so I won't bore you with that but it's it's quite quite a grim double whammy with the winter weather i think that everyone maybe uh, underestimated quite how much a difference the beautiful spring that we had in 2020 made when we went into that first lockdown but otherwise you know things proceed apace i'm lucky enough to be here in midori house there's not too many other people around uh so it's uh, it's a kind of nice space to work in um getting things done uh, obviously, watching the news from America, which we're going to be discussing uh, in a moment's time with bated breath and, uh, you know, just trucking on, Tomas. Glad you are trucking on, Augustin Machilari and Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Great, as always, to have you with us on the programme today. Well, let's begin, as Augustin mentioned there, in the United States, where yesterday afternoon Donald Trump became the first president in US history to be impeached twice by the US House of Representatives. Well, with a view from Washington after yesterday afternoon's historic vote, we spoke to Suzanne Lynch, Washington correspondent for the Irish Times newspaper. I'm looking at the New York Times in front of me here outside my door this morning with the word impeached. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump has made history uh, with the uh, dubious distinction of becoming only the, the first president to have been impeached for a second time. Um, I was at the, at the session of Congress yesterday um, covering uh, this impeachment. And um, really, I suppose the context here is the extreme shock and, and increasingly anger among lawmakers in Washington about what unfolded last week in the US Capitol when a Trump supporting mob uh, attacked um, the, the Capitol building. And as Democrats see it, Donald Trump specifically incited that mob to do so. 
Um, so uh, as predicted, he was impeached. Democrats always had the vote in the House of Representatives. They always had the numbers to impeach him. But significantly, 10 Republicans uh, joined Democrats uh, to vote to impeach him. Now, in one sense, that doesn't sound like a lot of people. But um, this contrasts with his first impeachment just a little over a year ago when no Republicans crossed the aisle. Um, and as well as those 10 Republicans, we saw a lot of Republicans who made the argument again and again that they did not want to uh, vote for impeachment because they felt the process was rushed and there wasn't enough time to see evidence, etc. But they strongly criticised Donald Trump's behaviour. So I think one of the sub-themes of yesterday was the split within the Republican Party and how deep that split is going to go. Suzanne Lynch there speaking to us a little earlier today. Well, after that impeachment vote, President Trump published a pre-recorded message via the White House's channels, which marked a starkly different tone to that he set on Tuesday when he visited the border wall along the border with Mexico. He didn't, in yesterday's message, acknowledge the impeachment vote and its results. But let's hear now a portion of what President Trump had to say. My fellow Americans... I want to speak to you tonight about the troubling events of the past week. As I have said, the incursion of the U.S. Capitol struck at the very heart of our republic. It angered and appalled millions of Americans across the political spectrum. I want to be very clear. I unequivocally condemn the violence that we saw last week. Violence and vandalism have absolutely no place in our country and no place in our movement. Making America great again has always been about defending the rule of law, supporting the men and women of law enforcement, and upholding our nation's most sacred traditions and values. Mob violence goes against everything I believe in and everything our movement stands for. No true supporter of mine could ever endorse political violence. President Donald Trump there in a video from the White House that was released last night. Um, Augustine, to begin with you, what's the calculation for President Trump, do you think, in in making this pre-taped address that was released last night? And what struck you about the language he chose to use, which is so different from the language he used even in the immediate aftermath of what took place on Capitol Hill last week? Well, Thomas, uh, answer the second part of that first. You know, I think a lot of the language, as you pointed out in your cue there, is conspicuous in its absence. He didn't concede uh, the election. He didn't mention uh, incoming President Joe Biden. He didn't mention uh, the most, the biggest elephant in the room, which is, of course, this second impeachment, a historical uh, second impeachment. Uh, Lots of references to our movement, which I found slightly menacing, but... You know, when you compare this to your standard uh, Donald Trump uh, speech, there's no digression. You know, he he was very down the line reading under the uh, Twitter thread where the White House posted it. You know, people were kind of saying, wow, couldn't you have been this presidential from the get go, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, the answer to that is no, because temperamentally, I don't think he's probably capable of it. And I imagine it was quite a struggle for him even to do that. But um, I, I think that I think that the, the, the video is, you know, it, it's a response to a lot of pressure from within the White House that's being put on him. I think that probably people will have warned him that his legacy is at risk, uh, that he needs to take steps now to distance himself from this crazy genie that he let out of the bottle, which we saw on display last Wednesday and may very well kind of come back uh, to haunt the States as soon as next week. 
at Biden's inauguration. Um, I thought that his reference to last Wednesday's calamity was a kind of an interesting choice of words. Calamity to me speaks to something that uh, is kind of blameless and that just, you know, like a natural disaster maybe is a calamity um, rather than a kind of uh, attempted <laughs> insurrection, uh, as some people have been calling it. I'm not sure I quite agree with that. I, in fact, have heard a lot of interesting discussions around the language that we should be using to discuss what happened last week, but we won't, we won't get into that. Um, you will have noticed uh, later on in the speech that he does, you know, in spite of uh, taking this kind of measured tone, take a swipe at big tech. He talks about freedom of speech and he tries to share this conciliatory message. But I think you'll agree, Tomas, uh, it just rings hollow. You know, he's, 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 he's trying to bring the country together after four years of working pretty hard to tear it apart. Um, it's like someone pretending to be uh, presidential. You know, last Wednesday, he said, we love you, you're special to the protesters. Um, but as I say, I think there's a lot of pressure from within the White House on him. Jared Kushner, I think, insisted, uh, got Mike Pence involved. They both encouraged him to do it, um, purely because he's legally liable. Uh, I think within the White House, things have changed. Reportedly, it's a ghost town. Uh, it's long been regarded as something of a kind of co COVID hotspot. And now a lot of the staffers who would otherwise, well, under more normal circumstances, be leaving to go into new roles, uh, perhaps in media or wherever they could put their kind of little black books and, and skill sets to work, uh, leaving in protest at what happened last week. Everyone is frantically trying to distance themselves from Trump's administration. Uh, Mitch McConnell uh, is, 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 is widely reported to be um, very much behind the impeachment. It's political expedient for him and he sees a route to uh, separating Trump out or excising him out from the from the from the Republican Party uh, Trump himself has also fallen out with Rudy Giuliani whose cause he's no longer taking you know it sounds a lot like all the rats are abandoning what's clearly uh, a sinking ship um, Trump has had to make this video because as we know he's had all of his uh, various platforms taken away from him his only recourse now is to sort of public speaking and uh, the White House channel like this but any sort of hint of the kind of language that he has been using would get that video blocked from Twitter of course because Twitter has drawn this line in the sand and said you know no more incitement uh, to any sort of violence so that's why he's off that service that's why this pose uh, this video was posted on the White House's Twitter page. Um, but, you know, he, 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 he is still insisting the election has been stolen. That's what's being reported. Um, and, and more than that, he's apparently thinking about pardoning himself, uh, along with a raft of other people that he's still kind of reported to, to be planning to pardon. Um, he's been encouraged to resign by his advisers, but he will not do it. He wants to go down fighting, um, which I guess, fair enough, uh, pardoning oneself, I think, is may apart from being caught red-handed, is maybe the most incriminating thing that one could possibly do. I'm not sure if if, if you agree with that, but it seems to be up there. The video then is 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 I guess his kind of one of his rare measured attempts to to kind of undo a bit of the damage but more importantly to kind of whitewash or or his his legacy so that so that he's not remembered as uh the catastrophe that he has been who ultimately uh galvanized 
thousands of people to descend on the US Capitol and tear it to pieces. Um, and I guess that's what he's trying to do. Whether he'll be able to or not, I think we can all agree he won't. You know, history, the history books are being written. You can hear the pen scribbling as I speak. And, um, and I don't think Donald Trump is going to come out looking very good. Well, to go back to an idea you, you put there, Augustine, about Mitch McConnell's attempt to excise Donald Trump from the party, it was an idea that we also put to Scott Lucas, who's a regular contributor for us on US politics here at Monocle 24, on today's edition of The Globalist. He explained for us the timings of the trial in the Senate and what the calculation among some Republicans might be when that trial eventually gets underway. The leading Senate Republican, Mitch McConnell, made it clear yesterday that uh, there will be no proceedings before Joe Biden is inaugurated on the 20th of January. However, what is significant is that McConnell did say uh, through his office that he believes Trump has committed impeachable offenses. That means there uh, certainly will be a trial after January 20th because you can try a federal official after he's left office and convict him. the question will then be this. You'll have the hearings, you'll have the vote on the floor of the Senate. Now, you need a two-thirds vote to convict. The Senate will be split 50-50, 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans. Will 17 Republicans join the Democrats to convict Donald Trump? I think up to 48 hours ago, we almost certainly would have said no. However, McConnell's indication, very pointed indication, that he will consider conviction could lead uh, a group of Republicans to follow him. And that would raise the prospect that Donald Trump would be convicted. Why is that significant? It means that Trump would lose his privileges as a former president. He would lose a very lucrative pension of more than $200,000 a year. And perhaps most crucially, the Senate could then vote to say that Donald Trump cannot run for president in 2024. Scott Lucas there speaking to us a little earlier today. Uh, Fernando, as we heard from Suzanne Lynch a little earlier, 10 Republicans did side with the Democrats in the House of Representatives yesterday. As she said, not a huge number on the face of it, but a significant one. Um, some of those members of the House of Representatives on the Republican side in their in their portions of the debates brought up the idea that, that now is a time for unity rather than ongoing with an, a divisive impeachment trial for an outgoing president. What do you make of that idea? I wonder if there's an argument to be made that those people who are calling for notions of unity, well, how can you possibly achieve that if no one is held accountable, not least the president who has now been found guilty of inciting what happened last week, uh, if he isn't ultimately brought to account um, by the Senate? What do you make of, of that line of argument? Well, first of all, I think a call for unity in this case is quite hypocritical, uh, especially when the person in question, uh, Donald Trump, you know, if he has committed impeachable offenses, this is not about unity or not. This is about kind of a procedure that happens in all democracies in a way. So it is very hypocritical. And we see that not only in the United States, but in other countries as well. Uh, there's kind of kind of a fake tone uh, to it as well. And and it's quite important if, if he's impeached indeed. It's not just about unity or not. I mean, you know, if he did commit offenses, I mean, we wouldn't want him to be a candidate again in 2024, uh, you know, and, and as Scott was saying there as well, you know, there's a lot of privileges of being a former president in the United States. So it, it, it rings hollow again. Og was saying that as well, even even his speech. I mean, 
it's clearly uh, perhaps a different tone of what he was doing, a bit kind of more a pacifier in that case. But I mean, who would believe that uh, knowing all of his actions, uh, well, since he became president, in fact? Well, we will be following the developments up to Inauguration Day throughout the coming days here on Monocle 24. And a quick date for your diaries. Next Wednesday's edition of the programme will be a special edition of the show hosted by Andrew Muller to mark Joe Biden's inauguration as President of the United States. Well, next here on the late edition, concern is growing over a variant of the coronavirus that appears to have originated in Brazil. Um, Fernando, as you mentioned to us at the top of the programme, you are for the time being stranded in some sense in Brazil. What's the latest you can tell us on this new variant and how that's being covered in Brazil where you are for us today? Funnily enough, I was actually, I, I was reading the Brazilian papers this morning. Of course, there was mention of it, but it was not even kind of the top stories of the day. I think the thing with this variant, we don't know too much information yet. What happened is the following. There were four uh, Brazilians uh, from Amazonas, which is where this variant came from, the north of the country. And I think they flew to Japan and, 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 and you know, in, in Japan, they found out that it was kind of variants that were you know, discovered here in Brazil. So I think it's an ongoing story. Uh, but of course, I think some countries, including the UK, they're looking into that. And we might see a ban of flights coming not only from Brazil, but other South American countries as well. Because if it comes from the, from the, from the Amazon region, which of course the majority is in Brazil, but there are other countries as well uh, who are neighbors. So it's interesting. This is could be a big story here in Brazil soon. But of course... We have cases, hospitalizations in Brazil are on the rise. Uh, you know, tomorrow uh, the Sao Paulo government might announce new restrictions uh, in the city. But the type of restrictions that I've been seeing so far, Thomas, they're not as nearly as restrictive as the ones uh, we see it in Europe. I think in Brazil really depends on where you live. But I have to say, I mean, a lot of people think as well that you know, Brazilians perhaps don't wear a mask or everything. I've seen when you walk in Sao Paulo, especially in the city center, 90% plus of people were wearing masks on the streets. So I think people, they are complying as much as they can. Uh, and, and that's kind of a positive thing that I noticed uh, here during my stay in Brazil. And would you say, Fernando, just finally, that there's a sense of the, a growing seriousness in Brazil, sort of broadly speaking, as you mentioned there, sort of the way people behave when they go to, to supermarkets and that kind of thing. Are you noticing a, a difference between you know, your usual home in London to, to your home country in Brazil while you've been there? Yes, in one sense, I'm, I'm very surprised in a positive way. I, I do think people, they are, you know, trying to protect themselves as much as they can. It is a different country. We don't, uh, I think most Brazilians, they don't have the government support you see uh, in many countries in Europe. So it is hard. A lot of people, they have to keep working, perhaps in not the best uh, of conditions as well. But I think one problem here at the moment, Thomas, is vaccination. I think some countries, I know that in the UK, vaccinations are already started. Here, it's expected that it will start next week. But we don't know, again, all the information. So there's been quite a lot of shambles in that aspect. And, 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 and that's a shame. I think we're being a little bit behind. I know other countries in the region, like Argentina and Chile, they have started vaccination already. So it's still a very confusing uh, period in that sense. 
We'll finally hear on the late edition in Calabria. The largest mafia trial to be held in several years began today, where members of the Ndrangheta crime syndicate are standing trial. Anna Sergi is a senior lecturer at the University of Essex in the UK, where she researches organised crime. And she spoke to us on the beginning of this historic trial on today's edition of The Globalist. Luigi Mancuso was in jail for 19 years and he was still the boss for the whole of the 19 years. Uh, so prison does not, um, prison does the opposite effect. It, it elevates the mafia member to a higher status. So to go to prison doesn't actually mean that you are out of the game. The family is very strong in the sense that they have they dominate the cocaine trade in Calabria, from Calabria, sorry, to the rest of the world. They are number one at the table of drug traffickers. Mm. So it's it's really difficult to eradicate something like that just with a trial. Um, and it's about the state figures. As I said, they are individuals, single individuals. It's, we're not talking about systemic corruption here in, in this specific case, at least. Um, we are talking about institutions, though, like the free, some of the Freemasons deviated lodges. And uh, obviously there is something more there. But I don't think it will be tackled in this trial. This trial is about punishment. It's not about um, fixing uh, or preventing things from for the future. Anna Sergi there speaking to us on today's edition of The Globalist. Um, Augustine, the logistics of staging this trial appears to be pretty extraordinary in its own right. A special thousand-seater maximum security courtroom has been built for it. The defendants are going to be in court in specially built cages. So I read somewhere 900 witnesses are reportedly going to testify against 350 people. The theatre, if that's the correct word for it, of all of this is pretty remarkable in its own right, isn't it? Yeah, it's a huge deal. They're really throwing the book at a lot of people. Um, as Anna pointed out there, cocaine is the backbone of the Andrangheta's business. Apparently, it's got a borderline monopoly on imports to Europe. So you can only imagine the value. I read somewhere that its annual turnover is estimated to represent something in the order of around 3% of Italy's GDP, which is remarkable. Um, it's a really long-standing issue, but this kind of maxi trial, to get to your question, is part of Italian sort of prosecutorial uh, mafia culture. Um, they did it before in the 80s. There was a huge, huge trial uh, which saw several prosecutors and a judge, I think, assassinated by the Sicilian mafia, um, who. And I think the Indrangheta have done this as well, basically have acted above the law. You know, reading a bit more about them, this kind of enormous, I suppose there's pageantry in it, but I think it's also just practical. Um, the structure of the organisation has been kind of compared with that of a multinational. Um, Anna herself, who we just heard speaking there, uh, described uh, the Ndrangheta in an article as more like a brand than a monolithic entity, that there's kind of, you know, franchises, different families, they each have different concerns, that it's kind of... To see it as to see it as one big thing is 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 not to get the full picture, and I suppose she speaks to that in that quote we just heard. You know, prison isn't necessarily going to stop 
any of the individuals from operating. And, uh, and these trials are more about punishing individuals than they are about fixing the whole thing because I think fundamentally what needs to be understood is that, is that this is an organisation that really is embedded within the kind of material fabric of Calabrian culture, you know, not just uh, in the authorities but also in infrastructure and also in the land. These guys have networks of bunkers in the middle of nowhere where they go and hide out. You know, you occasionally see those pictures, don't you, of a dishevelled-looking mob boss being hauled out of a hole in the ground like Saddam Hussein at the end of the uh, first phase of the second war in Iraq so I think that um, I think that I think that I think that this is a this is a, a practical there are practical reasons for, for pro- prosecuting all these people simultaneously uh, which no doubt have to do with the safety of uh, everyone involved in the prosecution um, and in just and in, and 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 in expediency um, but it is it is remarkable and it's definitely something that I'm going to be monitoring indeed there's plenty of it to monitor because apparently it's going to take two years uh, to get through. And Fernando, a final thought to you, this two-year-long trial, as Augustine said there, how would you describe that it's being covered so far? You know, is there a tone of the sort of focus on the theatrical, the scale of it all, or is the tone somewhat different in what you've read about the trial that began today? Well, I think it's natural that there is a little bit of a media circus in this story, because, you know, people... You know, I say I say we, and perhaps not everyone, but people are fascinated about mafia. I mean, just look at uh, a lot of uh, beloved films, series, even some fashion inspirations here and there. Of course, there's always the danger of glamorizing something that, you know, of course, shouldn't be glamorized. So it's totally understandable. I mean, here in the Brazilian papers as well, there's been a lot of stories about the mafia, a little uh, kind of a background, uh, you know, as Og was mentioning uh, in the 80s, we've seen something similar to this before. So I completely get uh, the fascination. And it was interesting uh, hearing there from, 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 from Ana Sergi that, you know, it is remarkable. I think it's one of the biggest trials, if not the biggest when it comes to mafia. But but then we wonder, is it going to change anything as well in Italy? And I, and I think she said uh, in, a, in a part of her interview that perhaps it might not change things that much. Uh, but it's fascinating. I will also be uh, keeping an eye on the story. Well, Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Augustin Macellari, that's all we have time for for today's programme. A big thanks to the two of you, as always, for being with us on the programme today. Our studio manager today in London was Louis Allen. A big thanks to him, as always, too. I'm Tomas Lewis. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye for now. (laughs) 